This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined remotely by Sarah Kariakos, Associate Commissioner for the Division of Integrated Community Services for Children and Families at the State Office of Mental Health, who's here to talk about some of the work the state is doing in the children's mental health space. Welcome to the show, Associate Commissioner Kariakos. Thank you so much for having me today. So I got to start by talking about your division. What does the Integrated Community Services for Children and Families Division focus on? What What is the scope of that work? Yeah, we have a, a very long name for some important work. So at the New York State Office of Mental Health, my team works on the community portfolio of supports and services for children, youth, and their families from uh, you know, prevention and early intervention all the way to community services like clinic services, um, if, you, if you go to a mental health clinic, all the way to emergency, crisis, um, and inpatient hospitalization. So um, anything that's in the community related to young people's mental health needs and supporting their families or caregivers as well. So what is on the division's docket right now that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, it's such an exciting time to be in youth mental health. I am sure that you and everybody listening is aware that for the last a few decades, actually, there's been uh, concerning trends nationally with youth mental health, um, increased reports of depression, increased reports of anxiety, really concerningly um, increasing um, reports of considering suicide. Those numbers are more pronounced for certain demographic groups, teenage girls, black youth, LGBTQ youth. And what has happened is that post-COVID, after lockdown, et cetera, after kind of like the, the significant physical impacts of COVID were felt, now we're really bearing the brunt of the psychological impacts of COVID. This is a national trend. And actually, if you look at the international literature, it's an international trend as well. What has happened is there's a spotlight that's really shown on this issue that's been a problem for a long time, but really much more of a problem now. And so what is exciting about doing this work right now is that we are really coming at this moment. It's more of an issue and we are in an era where mental health stigma, particularly among young people, is probably at the lowest it's ever been. Young people are by far the leaders for society in talking openly about mental health struggles. Put all that together with Governor Hochul's incredible focus on mental health for the lifespan and her particular focus for mental health for young people. I, I do think this is a really challenging time, but this is an exciting time because I think we're all really coming together to say things have to be different to meet the mental health needs of young people and their families. And so the governor has a billion dollar mental health plan across the continuum and across the lifespan, but she's put a special focus on young people and listening to what is it that young people in 2023 are struggling with. And it's different from what young people were struggling with in 2013 or 20, 30 years ago. So we're very excited about initiatives that are really youth-guided, youth-led, family-centered that are meeting the new and different needs of young people and their families today. Well, in terms of meeting those needs, 
what does the workforce look like that's actually out there to service the demands that young people have? Do you have a sense of whether it's up to the task, both in terms of the know-how, but also just the number of personnel needed for this time? It's such a good question. We know across the human services sector, definitely in behavioral health, what we're, what we're talking about, but physical health, childcare, developmental disabilities, et cetera, especially post-COVID, we are seeing significant challenges in the workforce. To your point, both the sheer numbers of folks who are in careers like this, um, but also kind of the training that they need um, to work with the more complex needs that we're seeing right now. What I think that it's forced is kind of a reckoning about how we approach and establish a behavioral health workforce. So I definitely want to highlight that there are many initiatives that the governor's put forward to enhance and improve the behavioral health workforce that exists. So, so for example, um, the Community Mental Health Loan Repayment Program in this executive budget expanded to not just doctors and nurse practitioners as, as it had been before, but also um, looking at how we use loan repayment as an incentive for folks like social workers, mental health counselors, et cetera. Also looking, of course, at cost of living increases, but also looking at kind of new innovative ways to support the workforce. So what I mean by that is things like, um, how do we look at, at folks who maybe have not been significant parts of the workforce before and, and increase their capacity to serve? How do we bring more paraprofessionals in who have lived experience and can, can bring something really different and separately valuable from the rest of the workforce. And so many of the initiatives that, that we are rolling out bring youth peer advocates and family peer advocates as central aspects of the team model, which by the way, is one of the things that young people and families say is, I don't always wanna to listen to another stuffy adult telling me, I want someone who looks like me, who gets what it's like to be a young person right now, who's helping me out and supporting me. So I think it's, it has really been an opportunity to look at both. It's critical to look at how we can bolster the workforce from a fiscal perspective. And also there are things that keep people in this kind of work that are, that are not just fiscal. Like how do you feel connected to the mission? How do you feel like you have the appropriate training and how do you feel like you're making a difference? Well, I want to talk about that state's $1 billion investment you mentioned. But first, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Sarah Kariakos, Associate Commissioner for the Division of Integrated Community Services for Children and Families at the State Office of Mental Health. And it's my understanding from talking to advocates that the bulk of that $1 billion was going toward infrastructure. So what amount of the money is going towards some of that workforce retention and recruitment policy that, that you mentioned, such as the, the loan forgiveness? And how much, if or if any of that, has been spent since it was authorized this spring? You make a great point that a lot of what we need to do in the mental health system is actually look at that core infrastructure and the capital needs to provide services for individuals who have the most significant needs. And so there is 
a significant chunk of money that is going to things like supportive housing, transitional settings, including transitional settings for children and youth. And I really want to highlight that because one of the things that is experienced by folks around the country um, is young people who are stuck inappropriately in emergency departments, um, in psychiatric units after the after they no longer have a need to be inpatient on pediatric beds, et cetera. And so some of those capital uh, dollars um, are allocated to look for, for New York State to be a leader in figuring out um, how we can uh, provide some transitional settings for kids like that who are in the wrong place and can be with some support in the community. There are, as you know, also a significant amount of operating dollars as well that go into various things. So both general cost of living increases, loan repayment, et cetera, but also enhancement of specific projects. So for example, $30 million to start up as well as enhance rates for school-based mental health clinics. School-based mental health clinics are a research-backed intervention to decrease higher level of care presentation because you can imagine that if you have a clinic right in your school, that before things get to a crisis point, you have someone who your teacher can connect you with, walk down the hallway and say, hey, here's a person that you can talk to and then who can check in with you tomorrow or the day after. One of the things that um, Governor Hochul did, which is uh, among the first in the nation, is to enhance the rates of school-based mental health clinic provision by 25%, which recognizes the fact that doing that work in a school-based clinic, including talking to the teachers, spending extra time doing training, et cetera, does cost more than the work that you would do in kind of the non-school clinic site where you're just seeing another patient and then seeing another patient and then seeing another patient. So that's an uh, investment that I want to highlight. I also want to highlight um, an investment in home-based crisis intervention. Home-based crisis intervention is um, an incredible national model, which is um, for young people and their families when they are at that stage where they really need um, intensive support. This is a model where the interventionist works with one family at a time or two families at a time. They're available 24-7 to that family. The team is available, which means that instead of calling 911 or going to the emergency department or calling mobile crisis, you call somebody who you have a connection with already and, and stick with you until you're through that crisis period and then hand it off to somebody else. High fidelity wraparound, I know it's a little jargony. Um, it's a care management intervention that's a total wraparound for young people and families with really complex needs. So one of the things that we are seeing and across the country we're seeing is that young people don't just have mental health needs. They have educational needs, they have medical needs, maybe they have developmental disabilities, substance use, et cetera. What high fidelity wraparound care management does is it's a care manager who helps bring together those systems as well as put into place family peer support and youth peer support so that you as a, a caregiver, you're not the one who's a full, has a full-time responsibility for making sure that your teacher and your kid's substance use counselor and their therapist are talking to each other. So those are some of the examples, um, along with great number of investments in things like certified community behavioral health clinics, comprehensive psychiatric emergency programs, inpatient beds, et cetera, that are beyond the capital and about operating dollars. 
Well, something like the services offered in schools, coming back to that timeline question, has the bump in funding been realized for the school year that's going on right now, or is that something that you anticipate happening later down the road? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we are working on with the federal government is actually a retro increase mm. to July 1, 2023. So as you know, some of these things take more time to actually be completely executed. But when that goes through, hopefully very shortly, what it means is that providers will be able to claim that enhanced rates on claims going back to July 1, which means that the entirety of this school year is covered. I also just have to highlight New York State, a pioneer in establishing commercial insurance parity for school-based mental health services. And what that means is that if you are a working class family, if you're a middle class family that has commercial insurance, Governor Hochul's legislation means that that commercial insurance cannot pay less than the government rate, the Medicaid rate for school-based mental health services, which means that a whole new population that has been frankly discriminated against for behavioral health services is going to have access to those preventive early interventive services. That provision of the law goes into effect January 1, 2024, and there's no expected delays associated with that. We expect that to be in effect January 1. Well, you mentioned Medicaid rates. So I'm curious, as someone who's been in the field, who is you know licensed to do this work, do you feel like the rates are representative even after getting increased by the governor and the legislature? Are they representative of the costs that it actually requires to deliver some of these mental health services? Yeah, it's a terrific question. Thanks so much for asking that. So one of the things that's interesting in behavioral health care is that Medicaid rates have tended to be the ceiling rates. What I will say is that our provider community has given us feedback that especially with the 25% rate enhancement, they see this as a viable line of business. And I can tell you that because we just closed applications for an RFA, a request for applications for new school-based mental health clinics. We're, we're in the blackout period, so I won't say too much, but we got an enormous response, which tells me that folks are looking at this and saying, yep, this is something where I can attract a qualified workforce and keep them there. And so with the startup money, I will be able to keep that school-based clinic open. And I actually want to open more school-based mental health clinics. I also think that, you know, right back to your workforce question, the opening up the pool of pay- payers with commercial insurance now paying at Medicaid rates that it is an additional source of stability for those school-based mental health clinics. So I, I do feel... Um, really strongly that with the governor's rate enhancement, this is something uh, that can be viable and really attract the kind of folks who can do good work in school-based mental health clinics. So finally, looking ahead, does the state need to build on the record investment that it made in the current fiscal year budget, especially on the operating side of things? Yeah, fantastic question. So I I definitely think that one of the things that we're seeing is that as young people are more likely to report challenges with mental health, as we know, are more likely to have challenges with mental health, especially post-pandemic, we have to look at ensuring that the provision of services is able to grow with a higher baseline rate of young people who need those services. I will say um, two points related to this. One is that we need to ensure that the entire continuum of care is supported. 
And so for, for a young person, it might be a, uh, a brief intervention is all that's needed. And the other thing that I would say is that it doesn't necessarily always have to be mental health treatment or mental health services. That's what folks need in order to kind of get back to a state of wellness. So, so one of the things that I want to highlight is an investment that we made in youth mental health first aid and teen mental health first aid. And what that is, is just like physical first aid, like how, how do I react if, you know, this physical thing, someone faints in front of me or he has a heart attack in front of me. This is like, how, how do I react? How do I get help? What is the next thing that I do um, when I see that someone's having trouble with their mental health? Uh, youth mental health first aid is how do I identify those signs in young people and teen mental health first aid, this is one of my favorite things, I think it's so cool, it actually trains teenagers, 15 to 18 year olds to respond to signs in their peers. And the, so the reason I bring that up in response to your question is that I do think that operating dollars are important and I do think that there is um, a, a commitment and a need to ensure that as we grow those services, that we have the money behind the growth necessary. However, I think it's also important to remember that mental wellness is more than mental health services. And so enhancing the capacity of just lay people to be able to talk about mental health, increase mental health literacy, allow the pediatrician to be able to do some of the treatment, allow teachers to be able to teach about social emotional literacy, all of those things are as important as the mental health treatment services. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Sarah Kuriako. She's the Associate Commissioner for the Division of Integrated Community Services for Children and Families at the State Office of Mental Health. Associate Commissioner Kuriakos, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. UnionStrongNY.com for more information.